If you have your Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And uh, if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we do have Bibles for you that are available. They're free. You can have it. You can keep it if you promise to read it. Uh, but we want everybody to have a, uh, a Bible so that you can read the Word of God um, and let Him reveal Himself to you. If we could, let me pray and then we'll, we'll go into the Word. Well, Father, none of us are worthy. And I'm certainly not worthy to be standing here preaching Your Word and delivering Your Gospel. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a man of uh, a sinner, a sinner's heart. And yet, Lord, you've given us the opportunity through Jesus to do these things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would clear my mind and my heart and my lips, that they may be obedient to you. I pray that everyone here who's gathered that would hear, and even those who would hear on CDs and DVDs and the Internet, wherever, Lord, it's heard, that they might hear about Jesus. And that you, through your miraculous ways and power, might cause us to come not only to understand but Lord, to be changed and to be consumed with Jesus, that we might be saved by Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray you'd bless our time in your word. Amen. And when I was about fifth in fifth grade, uh, I had a friend whose family, they were going to go all the way from Seattle to Orlando. They were going to take the big trip. And uh, my buddy, his, his older brother, couldn't go. So their family came and they said, hey, hey Jason, we have this ticket paid, we have all these things planned, but would you like to go with us to Orlando? I'm like, yeah, I want to go to Orlando, you know. Uh, and so I went with their family over to Orlando. We did the Disney, and we also went to Universal Studios. And I remember one of the things that we did at Universal Studios, we got on the, kind of this tram thing or something, and, and we were going through this thing where it reenacted on there what it would be like to be kind of in the midst of an earthquake, and here all of a sudden water was gushing down, and and things were shaking and rocks were falling. And what was interesting was when we got on the ride, we knew it was a ride. You know, in fifth grade, I knew that I was getting onto a ride. And yet when you're in the midst of something that is so lifelike and so real, suddenly you, you think you're in the midst of an earthquake. You, you, you see the rocks going, you see the water splashing, everything's topsy-turvy, and you feel as if you're in that very place. When you watch the Indiana Jones thing going, you feel the fire and the flame, and it, it feels like you're actually there. Well, this is what occurs with the prophets when they have a vision. Whether they're actually in those places or not, I don't know. What I do know is when they're there, it's very much real, and the Lord is revealing something that so penetrates the prophets in these visions that they come away, and oftentimes the prophets would see such uh, grand things in these visions that many of them came away and they were just sick. It was just so penetrating. You ever, you ever have a dream at night when you wake up and you just can't get it out of your mind? You can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't stop thinking about it, you go through your day. That's what happened with these visions. And so while we might not understand what it's like to get a prophetic vision, as John has these visions and it talks of things that are, are almost beyond comprehension for us, you have to understand that it's like John being at Universal Studios. He's seen these things that are very real. He's experiencing them. And what he's been told is what you see, simply write down. And not everything is understandable to us, but he's just been given the opportunity to, to go on that ride. And he's communicating that to us, and we're to, through the Holy Spirit, as much as we can absorb understanding as the Lord wills that to take place. So even as we go into today, there may be things that's like that I don't understand. That's okay. As the Lord wants you to, he'll make you to understand, but we get to kind of ride with John for a little while 
as he goes through this vision that continues. Last week we saw that the Lord had invited him up to heaven. While he's in heaven, he realizes and sees that while there are four living creatures at the throne, while there's 24 elders that surround the throne, that all those beings and everything that's happening in heaven is all about Jesus on the throne. It's all about the king. It's all the one, about the one who's in charge. And so they spend all their time there worshiping and obeying the king. And so we go into chapter 5 where he's still in the throne room where Jesus has sat. And that's where we pick it up in verse 1. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And so the one who's on the throne has his hand out and there's a scroll that's in it that's rolled up. It's written on the inside, on the outside, and it has seven seals on it. Now, you and I, we don't communicate through scrolls. At least we didn't in Seattle. I don't think they do here in Johnston County either. But they would have these scrolls that they would have as messages back in that day. And they would have these seals that were made out of wax and oftentimes uh, impressed with the signet ring of the king or the person who was sending it. And what it was like is if you and I went to the post office today and we mailed a letter and we wanted to make sure that it got to the right place and they knew that it was from us and it hadn't been interrupted that and hadn't been intercepted or changed, we would get a certified letter, right? We want it certified. So whoever got it would see it. They could sign it. We know that the transaction happened. They'd get the letter and it's right. And so a scroll that was sealed was like a certified letter. And here this one has seven seals on it. Okay, so what's inside that scroll? We don't know. It doesn't tell us what's on the inside. There's other times in Scripture when scrolls are given. There's one in Ezekiel that comes out. It's written on the front and the back. Ezekiel's told to eat it, and it tastes sweet in his mouth, but it's written on the inside with lamentations, mourning, and woe. What those are about, we don't know. Another time in the book of Zechariah, there's a scroll that goes out, and uh, it's a flying scroll. It's big and huge. And it's written on both sides. One side describes all the lying that's going on among the people. And on the other side describes all the stealing that's going on among the people. And so it describes their sin and it comes down and judges them in their houses. So that's what happens in Ezekiel and Zechariah. What this one in in Revelation has on it, we don't exactly know. We'll see when each of those seals is popped open what uh, what happens. And so it's possible that on that scroll is some type of judgment, some type of record of the sins. But we don't really know. I'm just giving reference back to these Old Testament scrolls that they've been seen. So that's what we have. The scroll written on both sides and sealed with seven seals. It's the certified letter. And it says in verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And so here's this scroll. It's got to be open. And as John sits there, there is no one, as the angel asks the question, who's worthy to open this thing? There's no one found in heaven or on earth who could go and open that thing. No one was worthy. And this relates also to the fact that every single human being who's ever lived is not worthy to take the place of God, is not worthy to operate in the place of God, is not worthy to stand in a place of judgment as God stands in a place of judgment. Because we are all sinners. We are all sinners. There is no one on the face of the earth and no one who's ever lived who could say, I'm not a sinner and so I'm worthy. In fact, if you go to the book of Romans, it says this concerning all people. It says, None is righteous, 
No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. All humanity. We have all sinned. And so from the get-go, that means none of us are worthy. You could go throughout all the world today and you could interview every single person of the almost 7 billion people on earth and not one person would be found worthy, not even Donald Trump, okay? Not one person. You could go find spiritual gurus. I don't know who you listen to on the radio. I don't know whose books you read. You could go ask your favorite author, not worthy, okay? You could go to your favorite talk show host. You could flip on to your favorite internet site. None of them are worthy, There is no one worthy to take the place of God. You could go back in history, as far back as you want to go, or even forward, whoever's to come, and you could try to find and interview the right person to be worthy to take God's place, and there is not one human being in all of human history who is worthy to take the place of God. And for us, like John, we should come to a place of saying, hey, that's a crisis, right? If there's a problem... And there's not one person alive today or in all of history who could solve that problem. That's a crisis. That's a crisis. And so when John realizes that there's no one to open this scroll, he just starts bawling his eyes out. Have you ever wept so hard that you almost uncontrollably groan and moan and cry out in pain? Many of you, I've witnessed you do that at the loss of a a loved one. Some of you I've seen weep during our prayer request time because the crisis that you're going through or that somebody you know is going through is almost uncontrollable. You just weep. See, the problem is real. As a result of no one being worthy and sin entering the world, death is upon us and none of us are worthy to overcome death or do the things that are required that only God can do. So no one is worthy. There's a crisis. And John just begins to weep loudly, says, because no one's worthy. And while he's crying, while he's crying, we come to the next verse. It says in verse five, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So this elder comes to John, says, hey, you don't need to cry. There's one who's worthy. He is the Lion of Judah from the root of David. Now, if you go back in Israel's history, the tribe of Judah, there were 12 tribes, the tribe of Judah, that was going to be the royal tribe. Out of that tribe come the kings, starting with David. So that's why this says the root of David. And in prophecy, it said, even though that line was cut off and there wasn't any kings any longer, that one day there would be a branch that would come out. And that branch was Jesus. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And he fulfilled every promise that was made to David concerning the kingly line. And that line was referred to as a lion. And so here the elder says, there, there is the line of Judah. There's the king, the root of David, the one that we've been hoping for. The line is there. And if there's one who can open the scroll because he's worthy, it is him. Amen. There is the line of Judah. And so as we're in verse five and the elder says to John and to us, there's the line of Judah. He's the one who's worthy. What would you want to do in that moment? Rejoice. And with your eyes, you would want to say, let me look on him. 
Let me see the one because I've been weeping. I'm in need. I need somebody to help me. We all need somebody up. Who can do it? The Lion of Judah. Let's look at him. So what happens when he turns and looks? Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and the, uh, among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so as the elder says, hey, the lion of Judah, he can open the scroll. And John turns to look at this lion. What does he see? A lamb. The Lamb of God, as if it had been slain. He was the one who was worthy. And it's like, wait a second, I thought he was supposed to be a lion. He is. Well, now you're saying he is a lamb. He is. You see, the lion, the king, he humbled himself and came to earth. And the scriptures say that there needed to be a sacrifice for our sins. And none of us were worthy to be the sacrifice for not only our own sins, but for the sins of the world. So God sent a perfect sacrifice. That's why in the Old Testament, as they had sacrifices at the temple, you couldn't offer a blind lamb. You couldn't offer a lamb with just three legs, right? He had to bring the perfect lamb, one that was without blemish. And so that was all representing the fact that God would give the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. And that's why when Jesus came to earth, John the Baptist pointed at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God! who takes away the sins of the world. And so the line of Judah, who is worthy, when John turns to look, he sees the Lamb of God. Now you're saying, that, hey, that's tripping me out. Remember, this is kind of like a dream. You know how dreams make so much sense when you're sleeping, and then you get up and you go to tell a friend, and as you're speaking, you're like, that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> you know, That's kind of what's happening here. It doesn't make sense because Jesus was on the throne, and now he's off the throne. And not only is he a lion, now he's a lamb. That's okay. It's just given a full-out description of Jesus, and it's not for us to comprehend necessarily in this life everything, but to say that Jesus is the one who is worthy. And we're going to find out what happens when he undoes the seals of that scroll in the following chapter. Right now, what we're concerned with is the fact that he alone is worthy. And everybody in heaven at that point saw it. The elders saw it. The living creatures saw it. John saw it. And we need to see that. That the only one who is worthy in all of heaven and all of earth, to do the things that God needs to do is God himself. The only one who is worthy to do the things that you need God to do in your life isn't you. Okay? It's not your smartphone. It's not your buddy at work. It's not the beer you want to drink. It's not the drugs that you want to do. It's not the entertainment that you want to do. It's not the food at the covered dish meal. Okay? There's nothing that can help you and take God's place. You say, well, those things are ridiculous. It's not. For all of history, we have been substituting those things for God. There is nothing worthy enough in your life to take God's place. Well, well, how much place? Let Let me offer you this. It says there that there were the elders and they had bowls that were full of incense. Now, in the scripture in the old tabernacle, which was kind of like a picture of heaven, there was a, 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 a table for incense right outside the most holy place where God would meet with the high priest. And in that place, they would, they would burn incense. It was 
uh, incense that had a special recipe to it. It couldn't be any other incense. Just, and you couldn't use the incense for any other time. You couldn't say, hey, I love the incense smell there at the tabernacle. I'm going to go make myself some at home. No, it was only right there next to where God was. And what it represents is what it says in Revelation is that that incense are the prayers of the saints. Did you realize that today when we were taking prayer requests, as you and I were saying, my loved one over here needs help. The sin-sick people over here and even myself, we need help. And so here are our prayers, Lord. They get heaped up together into this bowl and offered up, and it says that they're like incense before the Lord. It's a sweet smell when the people of God say, I'm not going to rely on the things of the world. I'm not going to rely on the chances like bingo. I'm putting all my faith in Jesus and it's going to be a sweet offering of incense that's what the Lord smells is you saying he alone is worthy he alone is worthy to be the one in my life and a song takes up at this point as those prayers are being given as everyone recognizes that Jesus is the only one as the line of Judah and the Lamb of God who is worthy to undo the scroll but it says in verse 9, and they sang a new song. There was songwriting going on. They were a singer-songwriter or something. Songwriting was happening. It says, the song went like this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Why was he worthy? Why was Jesus worthy? Not only because he was God, but this says he is worthy because he was the one when no one else could help you came in with the currency and the payment of his own blood shed it for you. It says because he ransomed you. What that means was you in your debt were in slavery to sin and death. You weren't owned by the devil. You were under the judgment of God. You were going to suffer eternally a distancing and a death away from God, except he came and bought you out of that lonely, awful place. He ransomed you. He saved you. He played with his own blood. And as a result of that, he is the Savior and he is worthy. And so they take up a new song and they say, you know what? Because he paid for the Dardens and because he paid for the Rainers and because he... He paid for the Morgans and because he paid for the Hudsons and he paid for the people at Unity Church who have called on his name and everybody who has ever lived who has said, Jesus, I call upon you because you are worthy and you paid for my sin, that he is awesome and he is worthy to be the one. He is worthy. He bought you. He bought you with his own blood. That's why on the cross, when Jesus says, it is finished, the word that he uses there is, it's paid. I paid it for them. That's why he's worthy. He paid for you. And our prayers and our entire life are an opportunity to say, as a result, he is worthy. He is worthy. And these people turn around and they give him worship. And it goes on in verse 11. It keeps going on and on. It says in verse 11, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard 
every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. That means yes, truly. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So as a result of everybody going, there is the king, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, who because he ransomed, he bought people out of sin and out of death and brought them to himself. As a result, he is worthy to do these things. He is the best. And it says that the living creatures, the elders, and everybody in heaven worship God. But did you notice it didn't just say them. Who else did it say? Some of the creatures. How many of you own a pet? Come on, if you own a pet, raise your hand. Keep your hand up. How many of you own livestock? Let me, okay, how many, let me ask you this. How many of you have, have had cockroaches and stuff in your house? Keep your hands up. Okay, by now, everybody should have your hands raised. You know that every pet that you own, every uh, livestock that you have, every, every bug that's ever been in your house, Every creature, it said, in heaven and on earth and in the sea, everywhere. If you've had goldfish, they've done it too. That every creature on the earth looks at Jesus and says, He is worthy. He is everything. All glory, honor, praise, power, glory be unto Him because He is worthy. Every creature on the earth praises the line of Judah and the Lamb of God except for who? Humans who resist Him. That's it. Every giraffe worships Jesus. Every worm that you use for bait worships Jesus. Every disobedient pooch only disobeys you. They worship Jesus. You have a decision. You hear the revelation of the King and all that He is and all of creation saying He is worthy and He saves. And you can look upon that truth and say, yes, amen, that is true. And I love Him. Please forgive me. And you fall on your face and you say, I want that. Or you say, it's a good story. Sounds like a good guy. But no thanks, I'll deal with it myself. I'm actually enjoying my life. My TV, pretty good friend. My money, I'm doing all right. My car, I enjoy it. My food, I love it. My dog, he's my best friend. I mean, you could go on and on with the list of the different things to say, you know what, I've got these other things and so I don't need him. And you've just committed idolatry. Okay? You have one of two places to be. Either on your face before Jesus saying, you are worthy and I am yours. Or you go not along with all the other creatures in the world and you say, I'm going to strike out on my own and I'm going to love myself and everything else and I'm just going to play the odds. Let me tell you what the odds are. Our own undertaker, Alan Roberts, and I know you've heard me tell you this before, our funeral director says that there is not one person he's seen that's been able to overcome death. Okay, There's not one person who's been able to sit up out of their casket, not one person who was taken in his car has been able to go home and continue eating and sleeping and going to work. Okay, so the, the odds are stacked against you. You're either on your face and living in Jesus, or you walk away from Him and you're dead. That's it. Myself included. That is the decision that you and I have. You see, whether you say yes 
or no, he's still going to be worthy. He's always going to be the lion. He's always going to be the lamb. He's always going to be the king. He is always going to be the best and the, the goodest. That's not even a word, but he's going to be right. Okay? You don't make that bad decision. Don't walk away from all that he is and all that he, he is for you. And having ransomed you from sin, he made that payment. That's like someone coming up to you and saying, hey, I want to pay your light bill. And you saying, no thanks. Would you let them pay your light bill? Of course you would. Then let Jesus be your lighting company. And he's paid your light bill. Say yes. Now, when you say yes to that, you can't just say yes when I want to. Yes on my terms. Yes on Sunday. Yes, when I'm at church. Yes, when I'm around people who are watching. Your yes has to be all the time and completely. Your yes is taking your heart and boom, it's on the table before God. He gets it all. Your mind, boom, it's all his. Your soul, your body, your time, your relationships, your job, your car, everything is Jesus's. The moment you say yes, it's all his. And you know what? You won't regret it. You see, when these people in that place said he is worthy to be worshipped. You know what the word worship means? Worthship. Worthship. He's worthy. And so he deserves to be worshipped. What happens when you say, yes, I'm with him, I accept him. Please forgive me for my sin. I'm yours. Now ask yourself, after you say that, after you sing all the songs that say that, and you leave church. What are you giving worth? Are you putting more worth in your decision-making power? Are you putting more worth in your ability to provide for yourself? Are you giving more worth to the values that the world puts on things? Are you giving worth to someone, something, or anything else other than Jesus Christ. Because if, if you're giving those things worth, then guess what you're doing? You're worshiping them. You're worshiping them. But the worship is reserved for Jesus. You said Amen. you want Him. Amen. So in these moments when you say, yes, I worship Jesus, but now I'm going to go give worth to these other things in my life, you're at a crisis point. You say, Pastor, man, i got a lot of things that I give worth to. But you need to get on your knees and ask if you know him. If you find your life riddled with these, I want to do this. I think this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. Or even if somebody else is making all the decisions for you. Is it Jesus? If not, consider whether you actually know him. Okay? All of us have to say, am I really with Jesus? The fruit is in where you're putting your worth. Because that's what you're worshiping. Okay? You are all worshipers. Everybody in this entire world, whether they're sitting in church today or not, or ever in their life, everybody in the world's worshipers. The question is, what are they worshiping? Whatever they're giving worth. You think about food all the time? That's what you're worshiping. Okay? You think about how to make money all the time? Working all the time? That's what you're worshiping. You think about how to just do rights and wrongs all the time. You're worshiping a law. 
you say, well, how am I supposed to go to work and how am I supposed to eat and how am I supposed to do what's right and wrong without worshiping those things? Here's the secret. You worship Jesus through those things. So when you go to work, you're actually asking the king, King, Jesus, how do you want me to work? And what, you, what do you want me to do with the money that I'm getting from work? What do you want me to do with this paycheck? See, now the king's in charge. You're giving him worth because you're not just giving worth to the job and to the money. He's so worthy, he gets to control the job and the money. He gets to control the way you treat your boss and your employees. If you worship Jesus, he's in charge of your marriage. He's in charge of the way you parent. And so it's not all about you. It's Jesus, you've made me a husband. Or you've made me a dad. So, in the way that I'm a husband or a spouse, in the way that I'm a father or a parent, would you be glorified? I want to show you that I love you by the way that I do this. See how that changes everything? Suddenly, everything in your life is given meaning because everything in your life is geared towards how can I be doing this to give Him praise? How can I be doing my job? How can I be going to church? How can I drive my car and smile to the person next to me so that they know I'm with Jesus? It's all for him. At the moment you become a believer, it's all about him. It's all about him. It's not about you anymore. And it's not all about the things that you love and want to do. It's all about the things that have to do with Jesus. When, uh, when our children were born, it was amazing to me. Katie and I were a happily married couple, and we still are. I don't want that to be confused. But Katie was pregnant with Elijah. And it was, it was amazing when we went from November 2nd to when we were just husband and wife to November 3rd when we were husband and wife with now a son. Everything changed, didn't it? Everything changed. And you might say, well, I'm not a parent. I don't really know what you're talking about. Well, let me put it in a different frame. So our next child came. Jude just had a birthday on Friday. Okay, seven years old. Well, seven years Previous to that day, Katie had given birth to Jude. And so um, our, the grandparents brought Elijah in. You know, Elijah is about, uh, what was he, three, four years old at that time? Two? Okay, he's two. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, Lord, I give you worship and not knowing anything about my kids. Um, so he's about two years old. It's so long ago. Uh, two years old. And Elijah walks in, and we're like, he's just going to love having this brother. So he walks into the room, and... We say, Elijah, here's your new brother, Jude. And Elijah, Elijah goes, huh. And he looks out the window, and he goes, hey, look, a truck! <laughs> and you in your life might say, like, huh, Jesus. Wow, there's the world. And you might think, you know, even though I say I love Jesus, I'm just going to go be consumed with this. No, when you know Jesus, like parents, right after they become parents, or a brother who just became a brother, life's going to be different from that day forward, okay? The day that you say, Jesus, save me, everything changes, and it's all for the better. You're going to undergo trials and tribulations, okay? You're going to undergo days when you don't have food, you don't have money, you don't have friends, you don't have shelter, you feel abandoned, but guess what? You have Jesus. And in those trials, they're not your trials, 
He's with you. You get to worship him through the trial. Because even though it's a trial, when you're with the Lamb of God, you have joy. When you're with the one who was willing to get off his throne and undergo a torture that you've never experienced, but the one that you deserve, you know that he's going to be with you. He loved you so much that he died for you. He could have stayed up in heaven where everything was cozy and warm and everybody glorifying him. And instead, he went down and took up a cross that was yours and mine and had people spit on him, beat on him. I believe sexually abused him because they stripped him naked. Okay? He's experienced a lot of things that a lot of us have experienced. But he did it so that you and I didn't have to die forever. Okay? Why would he leave you now? If you trust him with your soul for eternity, trust him with your soul for today. And if you say in this moment, yes, I believe and I want your salvation. And if that is true in your heart, then everything else changes. Everything else changes. It's all about Jesus in that moment. Worthy is the line of Judah. Worthy is the Lamb of God. And he is worthy of your worship. He is worth it. He is absolutely worth it. Father, we come to you and we thank you that in such vivid terms, even though we don't understand them, we see that everything revolves around you. And everything is about your Son, Jesus Christ. And you have done everything needed and possible to save us out of our sin and out of our wickedness and out of our death and to put us into life and to put us into your kingdom and to actually give us good jobs as priests and worshipers of the Almighty King. And so this morning, Lord, as you convict us of our sin, we ask that you would help us to repent of our sins and that we would say, yes, we want to follow the King. We want our entire life to be about the King. Change my life today. We pray that you would make that a reality, not because we have the power to do that, but because you have the power to do that. If you have the power to overcome the grave, then you have the power to help us overcome our sin and our selfishness and our greed. We don't want to be the people that received the scroll in Ezekiel's day that was full of lamentation and woe. We don't want to be the people like in Zechariah's day who received the announcement by scroll of their stealing and their cheating. We don't want to be the ones who the world can look at and say, yeah, you say you love Jesus, but your lives do not show it. And more so, Lord, we don't want to be the ones who you look at and say, I never knew you, depart from me. And so would you help us to worship you rightly? We pray that that wouldn't just be in this sanctuary as we sing to you. We offer up prayers like incense to you. But Lord, that Sunday through Saturday, every day and every hour, whether it be at home or at work, in our free time, whenever it is, Lord, that we would give you worship to be the king of all those places. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful. We pray that you continue to work in our lives together in this community as a church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.